Tom Borelli is a PhD molecular biologist turned political activist and a Newsmax contributor. Deneen Borelli is the author of Blacklash and a Fox News contributor. They're the Borellis, exposing government corruption and championing freedom, giving you the truth in black and white. This is Reigniting Liberty. Hey folks, thanks for checking out Reigniting Liberty. I'm Deneen Borelli. And it is my pleasure today to honor Mr. Frederick Douglass Reynolds. We actually contacted, reached out to each other on social media. Imagine that. Uh, uh, Frederick is a retired LA County Sheriff's homicide investigator and author of Black, White, and Gray All Over, A Black Man's Odyssey in Life and law enforcement. And sir, you are also a Lance Corporal in the United States Marines. I wanna thank you for your service to our country and everything you have done to try to keep our streets safe and welcome to Reigniting Liberty. Oh my God, thank you for having me on, Denise. I appreciate it. So I, I wish we had good things, fun things to talk about, but sadly, uh, for this discussion, we don't. Uh, I do want to talk about the uh, the spike in crime that we are seeing taking place a- across the country. Uh, but I, I also want to talk about your book at, uh, first. And what I was reading, and I did order your book. I will be getting it uh, soon. I just want to let you know that. Um, I want to I want you to tell the audience how long you have been in law enforcement and where did you serve. I was a cop for 32 years, um, and I worked in the the county of Los Angeles. I started off with the Compton Police Department, but I'm originally from Detroit. So when I first came to California, I I, I didn't know, I had never heard of Compton. Now, of course, it's everyone knows what Compton, California is. But I started there as a police officer in 1985, and it was right at the height of the crack epidemic. And it was during a time when the violence was was unbelievable. And I had just uh, recently gotten out of the Marine Corps and I was homeless for a bit. And um, and I ended up getting this job with with the police department. And I grew up in Detroit. So I was I was used to seeing violence, uh, but not like what I saw in Compton during the 80s because the crack epidemic fueled everything uh, because of the money that, that these gang members were able to accumulate, they were able to buy sophisticated weapons and the, the body count rose tremendously. And I, and I was, I really think I have PTSD from all the gunshot victims and the murders that I saw. But what is truly troubling is that even though it wasn't really an excuse for the violence to be at the level that it was in the, in the 80s and the 90s, there was crack as a contributing factor, right? Now, the violence is back at those levels, but there's, there's nothing driving it other than apathy by our city leaders and you know uh, our cops feeling handcuffed, as it were, and not, being, not feeling supported by, by the governments that they serve. So right now it's a it's a criminal's paradise. Uh, they're literally literally doing whatever they want to do because there's no fear of you know punishment. There's no fear of being arrested. 
and and right it's it's almost like it's by design i've never seen anything like it when when you have just organized groups of 30 and 40 people breaking into nordstroms and stealing high-end purses and they're almost coordinated the way that they're doing it because they're happening simultaneously in different areas across the country so if i had to go out on a limb i would say that there's something driving uh these these mass burglaries and these mass thefts because people aren't just getting together and say, hey, let's just go rob Nordstrom. Something's behind it. And, and it's something insidious. And, you know, I don't even want to speculate, but I know we need to get a we need to get our um, our arms around it before it's too late. Well, one thing I do see happening, especially in big cities, is the soft on crime approach. I know there are parts of California where you can steal up to what, $999 worth of merchandise and what, not get arrested? Or if you are arrested, you're released. Can you just uh, explain that to us? Because I know, I think New York City has something similar, but t- tell us about what California is doing. There's um, there's two different categories of, of uh, theft. One is a petty theft and one is a grand theft. In years past, the, the value on a grand theft was over $450, right? So now that's been increased to, to increase to $950. So that if you can go somewhere and just steal whatever you want and you'll get cited right out um, if you're arrested at all and taken to the station, I would hope that you would be arrested and taken to the station and at least fingerprinted and, and, and photographed. But sometimes the cops are just writing the guys a ticket for going in the store and, and just taking whatever they want. There is there are no consequences to doing this. And I, I was, I was reading somewhere recently where one mayor of a, of a, one of the largest cities in the United States actually blamed the shopkeepers and the store owners for not doing more to protect their property. And you know, it's almost like we're living in a surreal time. If, if 10 years ago, if you would have told me that a mayor of a major city would blame a shop owner for not doing enough to stop people from stealing from them, I would have said you're out of your mind. It's almost like you know, a, a, a woman that's a victim of a rape saying that she shouldn't have wore, wore a, a short skirt or revealing clothing. You know, it, it's victim blaming and it, it's unbelievable. No, it is unbelievable. And uh, what are you hearing from your fellow law enforcement uh, associates, your friends, those who are still on the force. And you just mentioned how they could be writing them a citation, but they're, they're released or not even taken in. What are you hearing from them? And what is morale like? Morale is the worst that I've ever seen it. Um, like I said, they, they feel like they are not supported um, by the communities, by the governments that they're sworn to protect and serve. Uh, they feel like if they have to take action, uh, a violent action to prevent someone from taking a life, uh, they feel that they're not going to be supported. A lot of them feel that they may even get arrested, lose their families, lose their homes. Uh, and, and when you have that in the back of your mind, you're going to be tentative about doing your job. All right. You're going to have blinders on some things that, that you may have seen in days past. Now you might just drive by it because you don't want to take the chance of losing your house. So this level of apathy from from law enforcement combined with the kid glove approach by our prosecutors 
has led to what's going on in this country right now. And like I said, Deneen, I cannot stress it enough. If we do not get a handle on what's going on, we're going to lose this country or it's going to become something that we don't want it to be. And, and that's not hyperbole. That is the God's honest truth, because I've seen it from both sides of the fence. I know what, what why criminals do what they want to do. I know that what stops criminals from doing it is the fear of law enforcement, is the fear of punishment, right? There's no fear anymore. So they, they're doing whatever they want to do. And right now we're in a perfect storm for, for, for crime. Well, criminals are certainly emboldened now because word of mouth is out there. They know uh, they're not going to be held accountable. They're not going to be arrested. They could get away with these smash and grabs. And the, our law enforcement are overwhelmed. I have seen numerous videos where cars are lined up outside of these stores and they take whatever they want and head out in, 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 into the cars. And the, the police are outnumbered, aren't they? These are, I've, I've read, and I don't know if this is correct in all situations, it's, it's a flash mob uh, where they gather on social media, they pick a point, uh, a point, a date, time or whatever, and that's when they do their uh, nefarious deeds. Yes, that's, that's what I was talking about earlier, how they have these coordinated efforts to, to go into the stores and, and take whatever they want. But now they're starting to venture out into areas and neighborhoods that they wouldn't have dared gone into before, like Beverly Hills. You know, they're, I mean, they're flash mobbing Van Cleef and Arpels and Nordstrom's and, you know, it's, and, and the Beverly Hills Police Department, quite frankly, is overwhelmed. They've never seen this before. You know, people in the inner cities, like where I worked and where I grew up, I was accustomed to seeing that level of crime and seeing that level of violence. And it was almost like a, a, a fine line in the sand where the criminals knew where they could go and where they couldn't go, Right. That line has been erased now. The criminals go wherever they think they can get the most valuables from. It doesn't matter anymore. And I, I've read where we have politicians who are trying to push some sort of laws to, uh, what is it, to keep people from selling the stolen merchandise. They're not even addressing the problem, the root of the problem, these soft on crime laws, these uh, big city establishments where you have that they are ran by Democrats. I mean, look, uh, the majority of where these crimes are taking place are run by Democrat politicians, and they are pushing these failed policies that are harming the communities, they're harming the businesses, they're blaming everyone. Somehow the criminals are the victims in some, in some uh, circumstances and situations. What, what are your thoughts on that? That's the narrative that they want to portray. And I've never been afraid of, of facing the elephant in the living room, Deneen, and you're absolutely correct. They're all in democratic cities. Let's just call it like it is. All of the democratic run cities have the highest rates of murder and violence and theft, home burglaries, robberies, every level of crime, democratic cities have the highest amount of it. Um, the thing that bothers me most about the majority of the mainstream media is that they don't address what's going on in the black communities as far as the level of violence, right? It's almost like they don't care. They wanna pretend like they care for people of color 
but they don't really care because if they cared, they would address what's going on. Philadelphia has over 500 murders this year. And I guarantee you over almost 90% of those victims and suspects are people of color, right? Los Angeles, the murder rate has skyrocketed. 90% of those people, victims and suspects are people of color. And you can go across the board in every Democratic run city, New York, Detroit, and we don't even need to talk about Chicago. We, 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 we're, we're not even we're not even sensitive to what's going on in Chicago anymore because we hear it so often. Every weekend, 60 people shot, 12 people you know, murdered, three kids died every weekend. And it, bur it burns me to no end why no one is addressing this. It's almost like we don't matter. You understand what I'm saying? No, yeah. I know that's been, that's been the quote and that's been the organization, Black Lives Matter. But what I see what's going on in our cities, it's almost like we don't matter unless we matter to an agenda, right? And yes. it's not advantageous to certain agendas to talk about the level of violence that's happening in, in black communities that's being committed by blacks against blacks. But see, I'm here to stand up to that because I investigated these crimes for years and I know the trauma that these families feel in these communities. And I was there for them. And it burns me even now, even though I'm retired and I watch my grandkids play in the backyard on most occasions, it burns me up to see the apathy displayed by the, the liberals. I'm, I'm just gonna call it what it is. They, they no, don't care. I want you to do that. And, and I'm glad you are doing it. Listen, I've been doing this for many, many years, calling out the liberals, Democrats, progressives, whatever they you know, deem themselves uh, to be today, this hour. Uh, but they are ignoring the black on black crime. They're, they're ignoring a lot of things going on in black communities, whether it's education, the high abortion rates, the broken families, but the crime, which is through the roof, they are ignoring it because it doesn't fit their narrative, Frederick. And here's the other thing I wanted to mention. Where's Jesse Jackson? Where's Al Sharpton? The NAACP, Black Lives Matter, where are their voices where we have this rampant crime wave that is sweeping the country. And you mentioned they are creeping into suburban areas as well. Where are their voices? They don't, they don't want to talk about that. It doesn't fit their narrative. Um, you know, they want, to, they want to play victim, right? They want to capitalize on, on Black people being perpetual victims, right? Deneen, I'm not a victim, Okay. I've, I've never considered myself a victim. I've never, never considered myself any less than any other person because I've always tried to, to live Dr. Martin Luther King's mantra when he said that every, you judge a person on the content of their character, not the color of their skin, okay? That goes both ways. You didn't, we didn't want others judging us because of our skin color. I'm not gonna judge another race based on theirs either, right? So I, I actually try to practice that. I don't, you know, I walk the walk and I talk the talk. So if, 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 I, if I see you're doing wrong, if I think that you are evil, if I think that you should be doing something that you're not, I'm going to call you out. I don't care what color you are. Um, I, that's just the way I am. And that's just the way I've survived. And I've been through some tough situations and, and I've come out for the best. 
Well, look, please know you are welcome here anytime because it is important to call it what it is. And sadly, our country is so divided right now. And one of the biggest wedges is the race issue, the waste race wedge, uh, whether it's uh, CRT, critical race theory, uh, ignoring the black on black crime, uh, ignoring how conservatives, for example, are targeted and pillaged simply because we have a difference of opinion. I have a difference of opinion. Uh, the, the, the wedge that is being driven through our country is off the charts. And I, I, it's, it's not getting any better. And what we really need are people to stand up and not be afraid. I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, I wish I was as vocal as you. I wish I was as vocal as you are. I am afraid to speak up because I will be targeted. I will be criticized. Uh, What are your thoughts about that? I think this, uh, this wedge, I think it's intentional. It's, it's the classic, uh, battle tactic of divide and conquer. As long as we're fighting each other, uh, certain power-hungry people can gain more and more power. If you have a people that are together, if you have a people that are strong, if you have a people that are standing together against injustices, evil can't triumph, right? And the more they see us squabble, the more they see us bicker amongst the, ourselves, the more they like it. Uh, I mean, anytime someone loses their life, Danine, I mean, it's horrible. You know yes. what I mean? Because I truly believe all lives matter. And, and it sounds stupid not to believe that, right? All lives matter. What happened in Wisconsin during that Christmas Day parade or the Christmas parade, the way it was just glossed over by the media. I don't care if those people were white. There were kids murdered, okay? They were murdered. That was an intentional act. A car didn't drive down a parade and happen to kill people. They were murdered. And they totally glossed over it because it didn't fit the narrative of what they've been trying to portray. And I've talked to my friends about it and and they wonder why I get so, you know, vocal about these type of issues. It's because for all those years I wore that badge, I swore to protect everyone, right? I didn't protect people based on what color they were. I didn't protect people based on what gender or what sexual preference they had. I protected everyone. Everyone was in my charge. So anytime I hear about someone, you know, some innocent person losing their life like that, it affects me. And I don't care what their skin color is. And I don't care who the perpetrator is. How uh, dangerous, I'm going to use that word, dangerous, do you think the mainstream media is by ignoring these important news uh, stories like the black on black crime, what like what happened in Wisconsin, spinning the Jesse Smollett uh, lie. Uh, how dangerous is our media? They're not just dangerous. They're complicit. They're complicit. Because they, it, 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 it's almost like they give, uh, you know, these 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 perpetrators a, a sense of, of, of autonomy, uh, a sense of, of protection. Uh, if you don't talk about it, you know, no one knows about it, right? Right. Roaches don't go away unless you turn the lights on, right? The media won't turn the lights on in these inner cities. The media will, they will not talk about these kids that are being murdered during drive-by shootings. But why? Because the people most of the time that are murdering them are people of color. And they don't want to talk about that, right? Well, I'm here to testify before you, Danine, that 
It doesn't matter what color you are. If you're evil, you're evil. And we, when we need to stop this false narrative of, of pushing race into everything, because if everything is racist, then nothing is. Everything can't be racist. And I believe that. And I wrote about it, you know, because um, I'm passionate about that because I see the way that our country is going. And if we don't get a hold of it, we're going to lose it. Or it's going to be something that we don't want. And just when... When we, as a people, finally are on equal footing, and I believe we're on equal footing because there's no way we can have a black president twice and not be on equal footing. Right. Um, I believe this is the greatest country in the world with all its faults, I believe, and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I totally agree with you on that. I, I, I do want to discuss um, this very tragic and just unbelievable uh, loss of life. Uh, you were friends, you worked for Mr. and Mrs. Charles and Jacqueline Avant uh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was reading about this and I just, I just froze in my tracks. I mean, the crime, the killings, the, these, these break-ins are just unbelievable and heartbreaking. This one is very close to home to you. This is was, it's an elderly couple. If you could just tell our audience who they are and what happened. Okay. Uh, Clarence Avant and his wife, Jacqueline Avant, um, they were absolute treasures, not just in the black community. They were treasures in humanity. Um, I worked for them in 2019 because Mr. Avant, he's getting up in age. And he doesn't, he doesn't like to drive too, around himself too much. So the family hired uh, drivers to be bodyguards and, and to drive Mr. and Mrs. Avon around when they went to meetings and dinner. So I worked for them for about a year in 2019, and they were an absolutely delightful couple. Um, these, here were these super rich, super powerful people, and they treated me like I was family. They, they always talked about, ask about my son. I have an autistic son. And every day I came to work, Mr. and Mrs. Avant, they would ask how my son is doing. They took a you know, vested interest in my kid and it made me feel good. It made me feel cared about. Um, and I loved them. And when I woke up that morning and found out that Mrs. Avon had been murdered, I, I was beside myself. I, I, was, I was devastated because how could this happen? How could this happen to these people? Uh, it, it, it reminded me almost like, you know, like I said, I, I grew up in Detroit and Rosa Parks lived in Detroit. And it reminded me of the time when a, a group of thugs in the neighborhood broke into her apartment and robbed her. And when they were arrested, the police, they, they asked them, hey, do you know whose house you broke into? It's Rosa Parks. And they said, we don't care about Rosa Parks. And it showed me that was like, a, a microcosm of how far we have fallen at that point as a people. And I felt like that when I, when I saw who they arrested for murdering Mrs. Avon, it was, it was a black man. And, and I, I was devastated and I, I, you know, I'm devastated for Mr. Avon. And, you know, if it, it's just a tragedy, it, it hurt, it hurt me bad. Yeah, it was it was painful to even read about it. Uh, Mr. Avon, I believe, is eighty. Mrs. Avon was eighty-one years old. Uh, was this one person that that in, uh, was the intruder that uh, broke into their home? And uh, do you know how they happened to catch him? 
Yeah, they it, so far, as far as I know, as one person broke into the house, you know, more than likely to rob them, and something happened, and uh, Mrs. Avon was shot and killed. And there's a lot of cameras in the city of Beverly Hills, so they catch this car leaving the area uh, on video. And uh, the guy, as unbelievable as it sounds, after he did that to the Avons, he went to another house and was trying to break in another house in the Hollywood Hills. And I believe he shot himself in the foot and he was arrested by LAPD and LAPD put it together and, and tied the two cases um, together. But, wow. you know, it's, like I said, I'm, I'm just devastated about that. And I, I'm so sorry for your loss and uh, for this family's loss. This is a, a huge tragedy. Um, and th this is happening on a regular basis, especially in this area. What are the citizens who are in these affluent communities, what, what are they trying to do to protect themselves? Oh, they're panicking. They're panicking. They're hiring, um, you know, uh, private security, mostly retired cops. Um, you know, uh, some of them are even hiring uh, ex-Navy SEALs. Uh, they're panicking. They've never experienced this before because for all their lives, they've been, they've been in a bubble. No one comes there. No one bribes from them. You know, um, all of that is in the impoverished areas. Right. But now it's hitting home. And I think a lot of people are panicking. I'm as a matter of fact, I'm seeing more and more people who were former liberals starting to gravitate more toward the middle of the pack, if not toward the right, because they're realizing what they fostered by promoting, you know, this rhetoric and this racial division for the last two or three years. And, and it's, it's becoming quite real to them. Um, so it's hitting home. I was reading gun ownership is on the rise in this area as well. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Gun ownership. Uh, you, you can't even buy any bullets anymore. Yeah. You know, ammunition is every ammo store is, is out of bullets. So people are afraid. Yep. What's going on in this country is. It's frightening. Yeah. And it's not just the inner cities. No, this is coming to a neighborhood near you. You mentioned Absolutely. how uh, liberals are like, uh, you know, get the, getting the wake up call here. Uh, and you were saying earlier, something needs to change. Something needs to be done. Do you think they're going to come around and realize that, you know, connect the dots here? Gee, I supported this or this person and look at the crime that I that is at my front door. Do you think they're going to have that wake up moment? Danina, I, I hope that they will. Um, at the very least, I hope that they study history and not even ancient history. You know, they can go go back to just a couple of hundred years. You know, I, I hear these people crying for civil war. Let's just have a civil war and get it over with. You don't want that. You, that is the absolute last thing that you want, because not only do you have death and misery, you also have home displacement, hunger. I mean, that is the last thing that we want. We need to get this together without killing each other. And I hope it's possible. Absolutely. I want to uh, get into your book, sir. Um, what made you write it? Tell us about it. I can't wait to read it. Um, and I will let you know when I get it. But please tell us about it. Um, 
I, 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 I've always enjoyed writing. Uh, as a child, I was, you know, I, I was, I was pretty smart, and you know, my home life was, it wasn't ideal. Um, there was a lot of, you know, domestic strife going on, and I, I strayed away, and I, I went to the streets for a bit. I started hanging out with the wrong crowd. And, you know, I was, I was just looking for a connection. I was, I was looking for, you know, a sense of belonging, which is why, you know, when I became a cop, I was able to interact with gang members so well, because a lot of them, I knew where they were coming from because I had been there. And before I, I, I went too far off, you know, in the wrong direction, I was able to write myself out, join the Marine Corps, and I was stationed in California, and that's how I came to to be a Compton police officer. And you know, I just talk about you know the things that I went through personally, uh, professionally. You know, I talk I talk about racism because you know, even though I think this country is nowhere near as racist as the media would have you believe, we have had difficult periods in this country, and I faced racism as a black man in this country. I didn't let it, you know, just dictate every aspect of my life, but it was there. And I talk about that and I talk about how I was able to confront it. And I talk about how I was able to overcome it. And I talk about how I was able to overcome the tragedies of, you know, two of my colleagues murdered, um, you know, during the night that I was working. And, and I also talk about personal pain. And I think, that's the reason why the book resonates with so many people because it's not a hero story. It's a story about a black man that just happened to be a police officer. And, you know, I just, I started writing it because I wanted to share the experiences that I had and the title. I had this title a very long time ago. I had the title before I even, you know, had a, actual concept of what I wanted to write about because that it, it's, it's like a microcosm of my life. You know, I was, it was always, I was black, I was white, but I was all, I always strived to be in the middle and, and that's great. Um, so it, 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 it references the racial division between blacks and whites. It also references the fact that police cars out here are black and white and it, mainly talks about how I want to be in that gray area and not be too far one way or the other. Well, that's very powerful. Again, I am looking forward to reading your book, Black, White, and Gray All Over, A Black Man's Odyssey in Life and Law Enforcement. Uh, I am so glad you reached out to me on LinkedIn a few months ago. I, I have watched you on Fox and uh, I've, I've always loved your take on things. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. Thank I'm you. proud of who you are and keep on doing what you're doing because we know who we are. Well, look, I'm proud of you. I mean, that's how I was going to close out uh, our discussion. Uh, you have an amazing story, amazing story to tell and a story that will help and empower others. So I thank you 
uh, for your time. I thank you for writing this book. Thank you for reaching out and please come back. Uh, where can folks find your book and what are your social media handles? Uh, they can find my book on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, BAM, Books a Million. And it's available in soft cover, hard cover, and Kindle. Um, I would love for it to be in, you know, Audible, but Morgan Freeman is not returning my calls. Okay. So keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> keep trying. He's probably a busy guy, but uh, well, that's great. I love that. I love that ambition. All right, okay. sir. Frederick Reynolds. Thank you so much for joining me today. I do appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Denise. Folks, thanks for checking out Reigniting Liberty. And remember, everyone has a role to play. What are you doing for liberty? Until next time. Bye. This has been Reigniting Liberty with Tom and Denine Borelli, the truth in black and white. For exclusive video footage of these interviews, be sure to follow Deneen Borelli on CloudHub at Deneen Borelli. And also make sure to visit DeneenBorelli.com. Follow Tom Borelli on Twitter at Tom Borelli. And follow Deneen at Deneen Borelli. Subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Reigniting Liberty, the truth in black and white.